everybody. Welcome back to Spilling Lemonade podcast. I am super happy to have you all here. Hope you all are having a great day. And with that said, let's get right into it. So today we have a super special guest. I, I'm someone who has looked up to this person for a really long time. So I'm super happy. And I bet a lot of you are going to be excited to have this guest on here too. Her name is Mallory Page. She is a food freedom dietitian. And yeah, Mallory, like if you want to say hi or anything like that. Yeah. I'm so excited to be here. That was such a nice intro. It's so sweet to hear from people that feel like they've looked up to me. That means so much to me. And yeah, I'm a food freedom dietitian. It's not a technical term, but I feel like our idea of what a dietitian is a lot of the time is kind of old school. It's like the food police. And I always want people to know that that's not what I'm about. I love helping people, especially women heal their relationship with food, exercise, their body, and just really feel like the best version of themselves. So I run my own private practice virtually from Austin, Texas, but I also am a content creator on different platforms as well to just serve anybody. So it's accessible, easy to use, hopefully helpful content, whether you work with me or you just follow along. And I love getting to connect with people that are a part of the community. I feel like it's such a blessing to me, even though it's cliche to say. So yeah, I'm excited to be here and chat with everyone. Yes, I know we are all really happy to have you here. And um, one thing I actually was really interested in is I personally, like my, the career path I want to go into is being a food freedom dietitian. And you were actually one of the people like kind of like introduced, like I figured out what that was like through you. So that was just really cool. Like kind of hearing you talk about that. Um, It just seems like such an interesting career path. And I was wondering how, like, how did you, what was your journey like? How did you decide to get into that? Like what led you to this job? Totally. So I always say that I got into this job for both good and bad reason, for lack of a better (laughs) word, because when I wanted to become a dietitian, I actually knew at a pretty young age, I was, I believe I was a sophomore going into my junior year of high school, if I'm remembering correctly, which at the time really a blessing because it helped me to kind of choose where I wanted to go to school and all these things. But it was also not necessarily for the best reason at the time, because I was myself struggling with my relationship with food, which eventually led to me dealing with an eating disorder. And so it did end up kind of really shaping how my life in the next years of my schooling looked because I was dealing with this eating disorder while going to school to become a dietitian. And at the time I wasn't really acknowledging it. It took me quite a while to really start to work through those struggles. And as I was going through my undergrad, I was really interested in sports nutrition. And that's really what I got all of my experience in. But as many of you guys probably know, athletes very commonly dealing with disordered eating eating disorders. So when my soft or my senior year of college, I feel like I started to kind of have this shift in mindset around how I actually wanted more to help these people struggling with disordered eating. And I knew I had to fully heal myself. And I feel like going into my senior year of college, that's when I really dove into that and felt like I got to that place where I was in recovery. And now I'm fully, fully recovered for a couple of years. But once I discovered that I kind of just took this jump into starting to learn more about how to teach people, how to not obsess about food and every single little thing in it, like we're taught in school. 
And that's how I came about being more of a food freedom or anti-diet or whatever you want to call it, dietitian and helping other people figure out how to just cultivate a relationship with food that's sustainable so that they're not living their whole life like that. So that's a little bit of my journey and eventually what led me to wanting to be in this role. Plus just the fact that I really believe the field of dietetics needs to change. Of course, different people come from different backgrounds. Not everybody has disordered eating and that's okay. Like we don't want that, but we want for other people to not feel like they're constantly in this diet cycle or constantly having to lose weight. And I think if we can change that mindset around it, even if it's not as specific as the way I talk about food, it will help so much with just making other people feel so much better. Okay. First off, I loved hearing that. That your story just seems incredible and extremely relatable. And second of all, I really agree with that as someone who wants to go into the dietetics, dietetics, I can't ever say that word. I know me too. (laughs) Nutrition field. I um, totally relate to the idea of like, when I tell people I want to be a dietitian and I don't preference that I want to work with like eating disorders or something. Everyone's like, oh, so you're really into health. Like, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm really into health. If you consider health eating what you want to eat and living in a healthy body, then yeah, I am into health because, you know, unfortunately, what a lot of people associate with health isn't necessarily always healthy. And I love the work that you're trying, that you put out and the content you put out in terms of, you know, taking that shift of what, you know, redefining health and redefining what a good relationship of food and body looks like. And um, that's just really awesome. And I just, honestly, I just kind of had some questions for you, like given this opportunity and I, you know, things I'd love to hear you talk, your opinions on. And one of these was, I've seen a lot on your post that recently you, you had posted about like body image and you post a lot about like, I love what you say about, um, like you posted this thing recently that the difference between like bloating and just like thinking you're bloated. And I really was wondering if you could get a little bit more into that because I know myself and I asked some of my followers and, um, people have struggled with, I know a lot of people believe they're bloated because they're having bad body image and it's very different than what bloating actually is. It is. I love that question because this is important, although it can seem kind of nitpicky because of the way it can affect your mindset and what you do. And that's why I emphasize it. Does it really matter so much if you tell yourself or you say, oh, I'm bloated when you're just over eight or your stomach is just ascended? No, it doesn't actually matter so much in theory but the way that we feel about it really does. And even how we get acclimated to how our body truly looks. So when you think about bloating, which most people say they're bloated whenever their stomach is any type of distended or when they're puffy or when they're on their period or whatever it is, or when they overate, but really bloating in itself actually is characteristic of some type of GI discomfort. That doesn't mean you have to have symptoms, GI symptoms going along with that. That could mean that your stomach is cramping. It's in stabbing pain. You feel really uncomfortable. You know, you have gas, you have something going on. It's not just that your stomach is descended. Now, distension itself can happen with bloating because you are bloated or distended when you are bloated. But when you're just distended, that can be for so many reasons. A lot of the clients I work with aren't really used to actually eating what their body needs. So then throughout the day, their stomach expands like it has to, because we have to digest food. Otherwise it's not going anywhere, which would be a problem. And they are so caught off guard by this. that They're convinced, oh my gosh, well, I'm just bloated every time. And everything makes me bloated. 
but it's not actually making you bloated. It's just your body going through a very natural process. So same thing with periods. A lot of the time we think we're bloated on our period. It's not bad to say like the period blow or anything like that. I'm not, again, not trying to be the word police here, but just important to know that that's happening because your hormones are fluctuating. You have more estrogen that holds more water. So there's reason why these things happen outside of just being, oh, I'm bloated. Because then next thing you know, when someone thinks they're bloated all the time, they start cutting out foods because they think they have food intolerances or they start wanting to change their body more. And we don't give our body enough grace for the fact that it naturally will fluctuate. And that's why I always love to emphasize that point because I think it's super important. Yes, absolutely. I know when I first started recovery that I used to tell everyone, I was like, oh, I'm so bloated. And eventually I kind of realized I was like, I saw this quote and I'm not hundred percent sure where I found it, but it was like, your morning body isn't your morning body. It's your dehydrated body. Yes. And I love that quote because it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, when I wake up in the morning, isn't like how I'm supposed to look the whole day. Like I'm going to drink water and have food as I should. And yes. especially right now, like I'm introducing all these new foods that I haven't eaten. Like, of course my body is going to have some dissension. And I remember like just hearing you had talked about that, like was something that was really like, oh, that's really interesting. Like that's always really intrigued me because you hear so many people say that they're bloated or something. And half the time it's body image or body dysmorphia. Yes. And you're not even really that descent, don't have that much dissension even going on, which is, I know I suffered from that a lot, like body dysmorphia. And I would think I was incredibly bloated. I didn't even, A, I was not having any GI symptoms half the time and B, I wasn't even really having dissension. I just wasn't as dehydrated <laughs> and, or as malnourished. And yeah. I think that's really crazy. And I just hearing you talk about that was really interesting. And then the other point that I wanted to say was that I love how you talked about like, re like when you reintroduce foods, kind of how it really just like shifts. I know like a lot of people's fear, I get so many DMs of people asking me like, Hey, does, when does the bloating go away? Like that's something so common. I feel like that people ask me and what I always kind of say is I'm like, well, I mean, like I would consider myself recovered and like, I still get ascension. Like your food goes somewhere, like your whole life, you just get used to it because it's normal. Like before your eating disorder, I, it took me a while, but then I realized like, I probably had dissension before my eating disorder, but I didn't have body dysmorphia or anything like that. So I just didn't know or didn't, it didn't recognize with me like, oh, this happens every day. And I think that that's just like kind of the shift you talked about that makes such a big difference. Oh, totally. I was thinking about this, as you said, the dehydrated thing, which is so good. I feel like college students, anyone of age to be appropriate will relate to this, but how many times have you heard people in college say that when they look their best, like when they wake up after a day of drinking and they're like hungover, they're like, I don't understand because you're so dehydrated. And so it's a really good example to think about and conceptualize because there's no time you feel worse than when you wake up and you're hungover and you're like, Oh, I look good. Why do I look good? Because you're dehydrated. That's literally <laughs> why. So it's not a good thing. It's just, we're so accustomed to the idea of, Oh, I should have this, like have this certain look because of what we see in the media. But you also have to keep in mind, that's the same thing in the media. People will go into things dehydrated or not having eaten that day, really horrible stuff. That stuff that we see projected in the media is not 
a normal thing that we see. And then to your second point about bloating and reintegration of foods, bloating does happen in recovery. For some people, it doesn't as much where they're not as uncomfortable. For some people, it's super extreme and it's really challenging, but there's no timeline on it that is the same for everyone. And I always say the best thing that you can do and the only way to really get out of it or to even understand if there is a deeper reason contributing to it is by taking the steps and stopping the restricting, stopping the habits that you're engaging in that are contributing to your eating disorder, even just a disordered relationship with food, because that's what's going to change the whole trajectory of it. Obviously, there's tons of tips with this, but that's what's going to make the biggest difference in your whole timeline and length of time you have something. Yes, I think that's absolutely great advice. And I actually was wondering while we were on the topic of you had said that, you know, like the best ways to move out of the restriction cycle, what would be your tips for somebody who's just beginning recovery or like just moving out of the chronic dieting cycle? How would you recommend to somebody or like a client you had who was going through that in the very beginning to get out of that? Yeah, I created a free training on this because it's, it's so easy to be able to just go to something. It's, I haven't linked in my bio. If anyone wants to check it out, it's called three days to food freedom and more, and more body acceptance or better body image. I always forget the exact title in the last <laughs> time, but to summarize what that kind of goes through in those three days, I always say that the first step is evaluating where you're at. This sounds really weird because people were like, well, I'm evaluating where I'm at right now. Like I'm about to start that we often are so out of tune with ourselves when we're struggling with this stuff. We don't even really know what's going on. We just know that we're experiencing an emotion and we're finally done with it. And we want to take that next step. So what do you need at that time? If you can always suggest your first step to be working with someone, that is the ideal thing. I mean, there's no question about it, but I also know that in reality, not everybody is able to, it's a privilege to be able to have insurance or healthcare that supports that, or to have the funds to be able to do that. I wasn't able to work with someone when I was struggling right away. There were times where I could, and that was a whole different story of me not doing it, but it still is the reality that a lot of people face. So I don't want that to stop you if you can't work with someone after evaluating where you're at. So once you kind of have an idea of what you're struggling with the most, then I would take action on setting goals around that. And you can do this with an accountability buddy in your life. I'd really suggest, even if you can't work with someone, telling someone struggles with food, like thrive in isolation. And so if you can tell someone else, I'm struggling with this, someone that you feel like you relate to, that's going to help a lot. And then you can set goals around this. Okay. You know, I'm struggling with food and I am not having these foods or I'm only having this amount. So I'm going to make a goal of putting this food into my diet and having it three times, or I'm going to increase my meals by this much five different times this week, right? You can set these goals on your own. Cause that is essentially what you're doing with the dietitian or with other people. Now there's mindset stuff that goes into it as well that you're kind of trying to walk through because it's both the mental and the physical elements, which can make it challenging, but there's always a place to start no matter what. And especially with telling someone that will take some of that burden off of you and help to support you in either getting help, setting goals, doing whatever it is to just get the ball rolling when you're feeling motivated. I love that. I have so many things that I love that you said. And one of them was about how I feel like, you know, like 
food issues around food and such thrive in isolation. And I think that's absolutely true. I know so many people try, obviously there are, like, as you said, it's really unfortunate. Sometimes the mental health care, like the lack of accessibility to eating disorder treatment, or even if you have insurance, you know, waiting lists. I know when I tried to get, I was at a place where I had to go to a residential eating disorder center and they were like, "Mm, well, hopefully you can make it six weeks or six months or however long it was. And, you know, it's so sad that that's a thing. And, but half the time you get there and your insurance kicks you out anyways. So I know that not everyone has, and just because of stigma and such, even like, unfortunately, weight can play a role of whether or not you're going to get treatment Mm -hmm. and all these awful things. And I feel like, um, but I know one thing it took for me to acknowledge was that my accessibility to treatment and to any type of support was a privilege and that really taking advantage of that privilege. I know there's so many people tell me they're afraid to get help because they're like, well, what if it's going to be awful? And unfortunately there are, you know, some people out there, I've had one dietitian who wasn't this probably shouldn't be working with eating disorder patients, but mm. I have also had a million great ones is what I tell people and, you know, finding that accountability, or even if you can't find it in a professional, you know, your eating disorder or your disordered eating, it's naturally, it's going to want, it's like, I like to view it as like a parasite. Like it's going to want to stay. Like you have, you have to get a whole team fighting around it. Like <laughs> you can't just knock it out on your own. It's very, very, very difficult to anyways. And I love what you said about, you know, bringing in other people. And then I also love what you said about kind of just starting, you know, you have to get the ball rolling. One of my favorite quotes that really helped me was that you, it, it's something like you're never going to be ready. Like you're never going to be fully ready to start recovery because it's always going to be scary, but that doesn't mean that just because you're not ready or because it's scary doesn't mean you can't do it. It's absolutely possible. And I love what you said about, you kind of just have to get it going, you know, challenge this or challenge that. And build from there and not to get, I think another big thing is not to get discouraged by, you know, seeing someone much farther along in recovery and thinking I could never do that. I don't even want to do that because as you move along in recovery, you'll see, yes, I can do that. It's actually not as difficult as it once was. And I do want that. And I think that's a great part of recovery. Totally. I always say that you can't do anything that you believe you can't do. I see this with clients and whether they go to treatment or they seek out dietitian or therapist or whatever support on the outside, you have to have some desire. It doesn't have to be that you feel 99% excited. We're talking like if you can have 50 over 49, or even like, can you have just 10% like enough that you actually want to do something? I feel like that's really all you need. And to your point, it is going to take time, you know, and you can't be hard on yourself and think I need to be able to imagine myself being fully recovered tomorrow or in three months or in six months or in a year, just give yourself that grace and take those baby steps because the baby steps are what create the sustainable result. I absolutely agree with that. I know something that's really popular in the recovery community these days is called like going all in. Mm -hmm. And I know it's very much like, I think the idea of it is that you go very hard and very fast. And I think it kind of perpetuates this idea that, you know, you're going to recover faster or you're just going to be all in. And I know I've talked to some people who are all in on this podcast and they've kind of said, it's like, you just get so fed up with your eating disorder that you just 
dish it. But I honestly don't think even if you're physically not giving into your eating disorder, it's very, you can't just ditch the mentality. Like it doesn't just, you can't just say, I'm, I don't want an eating disorder, so I'm not going to have one. And I think as great as it is when people decide that they're just going to start feeding their bodies, it's incredibly challenging mentally. And I think that, you know, I've seen, I saw a post issue that was like, all in is the only real recovery. And I totally disagree with that because I think for some people, like taking the baby, like taking any steps is definitely better than taking no steps. So I love that your idea is to take, you know, work up to being, having full food freedom and you don't have to start on day one and you can't really be recovered on day one. And I love, I just love your philosophy on how you're talking about this. It makes me sad to hear that post because I'm sure that person that shared that didn't mean it, but that is so toxic for the eating disorder and just disorder eating community because there's already so much comparison within that space that do you really want to tell someone that them trying to recover in baby steps is not real recovery? That's literally insane. <laughs> like every single person is so different. That's like saying, oh, well, everyone is a visual learner. No, everyone's not. <laughs> it's okay if you are a visual learner, but if someone else is not and they're a tactile learner, whatever else it is, that's okay. That doesn't mean that they don't know how to learn. It just, those type of things really are hard for me. And it's really interesting that you bring this up. This video came out yesterday and I was just watching it with Stephanie Buttermore. I think she's absolutely fantastic. And she was such a inspiration for so many people in that going all in. And I think she has influenced so many lives and I can't imagine the pressure that she feels and she just made an update video after going all in that she ended up slipping back in to disordered eating habits and started losing weight because she was dealing with some other problems. Like she was dealing with anxiety. It kind of led to her not having strong hunger cues, which is very important in all in people don't think about this. If you don't have hunger cues, you can't do all in because you don't know when to eat. I, I could go on a whole rant. I won't rant, but I, 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 just add, I love that. <laughs> Because some, I get asked all the time because I wouldn't necessarily consider that I ever went all in. I called it surrendering to recovery. Like yeah. I gave up using behaviors. It was, I don't know. And when I was in treatment, everyone kind of laughed at me for the term, but like jokingly, but I've always called it surrendering to recovery. So when people ask if I yeah. go all, went all in, I'm like, I didn't start all in definitely, but eventually I ended up at a place where I guess you could call it all in. And it wasn't just like one day I was at that place and I didn't call it that, but you know, people always ask me, should I go on? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, but if you don't even have hunger cues, I don't know like where you're at mentally, how you're going to hand, like, I'm, it's, it's not a cookie cutter thing. No, it's just not. And that was the thing is she was so courageous on her journey and made so much progress. And then mentally, she found herself slipping back into habits. And that's the thing. This is not to say she did anything wrong. I mean, how brave of her to even come out and share when she's gotten so much public criticism for even going through this. But that is why I speak about the fact that these type of trends, I know all in is not just a trend, there's scientific stuff behind it. And I totally believe in the whole concept of all in itself. But to say that any one thing works for everyone is not ever true. It's just not. It doesn't matter what you're talking about, but especially with nutrition or recovery, it's just not that way. Personally, I was not someone that could do an all in. I did get to a point 
in my recovery. And also now, obviously in my life, I am all in my life because I'm fully recovered. So I don't think about these things, but it is more about what you're saying. It is allowing yourself to surrender. And it's not just to the eating disorder. Like you said, it's surrendering in your life to allow yourself to feel emotions, the things you've been trying to block out the pain you've been trying to avoid the behavior habits that have been used as coping mechanisms, all of these things. That's what's actually scary. We often say that fear of weight gain is scary, but why is fear of weight gain scary? Because of something else, because you don't feel accepted or loved or whatever it is. Obviously society plays into that, of course, but there's always something underlying why we're afraid. And it comes back to how we feel deep down. It doesn't just come back to a behavior habit. I absolutely think that was so well said. I always have been someone who really thinks that all disordered eating and eating disorders have a deeper cause. Like it's not our, when you think about it, our human instincts are definitely not to restrict our food intake. It's what we need to survive. And I used to really believe, and I hear so many other people say, well, I'm like, I'm the exception. Like I know a lot of other people's have an underlying cause, but mine really is about body image. And, you know, as I recovered, I discovered all these other reasons. And I was just always so surprised when I'd go tell my therapist, like, I don't think it's about food today. (laughs) And she would always just be like, really? You mean you agree with me? And I just love that. And um, just along with everything you said, it's, I totally agree with that, you know, to summarize it, that it can't be like a cookie cutter method. And that yes, it works for some people, but it's also not to invalidate anyone who isn't doing it. You know, it's, I don't think I could have gone all in really. I mean, I, as a, it's, it's confusing because technically once what people considered all in, once you're recovered, you're pretty much like considered all in if that, mm-hmm. because you're not really in recovery, but, um, and just, yeah, I, I, I totally lost my train of thought to be honest, but, um, makes sense. <laughs> moving on to another thing that I was really curious because you've just had so many great opinions is I was wondering, I get a lot of questions and people, cause I'd ask people what they wanted to hear from a food freedom dietitian. A lot of them were saying, what was your opinions on calorie counting in recovery? <laughs> people could see my face. <laughs> I, wish they could too. I literally, it said it all. Okay. There's, this is a very, very, very complex topic because I have had some clients that were so deep in their eating disorder and calorie counting that and so restrictive that my main goal and concern as a dietitian is we need to do anything we can to get that calorie number up. That was my main goal because I'm like, this is unsafe for your life, right? So if we can do that by using calorie counting just to start off, that is better than you restricting because we take the calorie counting away. That is the only time that I ever use calorie counting. The calorie counting that I am sure they're talking about because I was literally looking at this account that always comes up on my freaking explore page just to enrage me, I think. I honestly swear it does. Oh, there's at least like a handful (laughs) of pages that my explore page just likes to push my buttons. I'm like, what are you doing here? Again, (laughs) I don't don't wanna see you. And they literally talk about the fact that they help women recover by counting calories and their macros to get their period back, regain their weight, like get their energy toxic. Everything about that is toxic, manipulative. That is another form of eating disorder. 
I don't care what anybody says. I have very strong opinions on this. I was a calorie counter in my eating disorder with macros, with calories, with orthorexia and being obsessed with healthy eating, which they also say, oh, and you'll also be filling yourself with healthy foods. I'm like, that is an eating disorder. Everything that you just shared. So I really strongly am so against that. I call this, and this is not a technical term, but <laughs> I call this a transfer where you take one mechanism of control and you put it into a new mechanism of control and it feels really comfortable, quote unquote. And like you've taken all these steps, which it is very courageous that you've made the decision to want to change. And I'm not taking that away, but it, in reality is actually not actually making a difference. And you will at some point have to figure out a way to get out of that, or you're just going to be continually unhappy again, doing some other type of restriction slash disordered eating. It's so refreshing to hear somebody say this. I always hear it referred to as like, people are like, I'm doing recovery the healthy way, Uh, which I don't even, I have such deep dissent for that when people have said that, but because recovery is healthy, there's no quite frankly, that's not really a healthy way to recover. If there was a healthy way, um, eating and giving yourself food freedom and allowing yourself to have joy in life again, in my opinion, is much more healthy than counting macros. And it makes me really sad how many people I see who will talk about, you know, I went, I started recovery and they'll even post stuff like I'm fully recovered from my eating disorder because I eat this many macros a day and I eat you know, yeah, exactly on your, I wish you guys could see your face and, um, and all of these things. And it, it just always makes me sad. I feel like kind of how you had said, I feel like there are some very specific cases where like, if calorie counting is the only way, like, you know, you don't have this, you know, if you're in medical need and you don't have the support of being in a program or being in a hospital where they're going to take care of your needs for you. And that's really the only way to get yourself to eat more than, you know, that's a very specific example, but I totally agree with the idea of that, like calorie counting is very rooted in the disordered eating or eating disorder. And it's definitely a mechanism of control and it's a behavior. And so even if you're eating more, you're still using that coping mechanism of control, which it's kind of just like symptom swapping kind of like, or like, you know, maybe you're not eating maybe you're eating more and you're gaining weight but if you're very controlling the way you're gaining weight it you know it's still you're still gonna be unhappy kind of how you said exactly yeah I haven't even seen that before that is I mean I've seen the stuff but I don't follow any of those people because I can't handle it oh I have (laughs) had once I started like real true recovery back in like March 2020 I had to just unfollow so many people because I was like, this is not helpful to anyone. I always say that even the recovery community itself can be unhelpful, just like anything else. I mean, it, and also sometimes it can just be comparative, even if someone is super positive and really helpful. That's why I always encourage people. I don't consider myself a recovery account because I'm fully recovered. I consider myself a dietitian that speaks about how to heal your relationship with food. But if anybody ever found that not to be helpful or that it wasn't appropriate for their place, always unfollow. You don't have any, you know, basically obligation to follow certain people. I feel like we all get in that mindset. I've even told that to my clients before in my group programs, people will say, well, I really like this person, but every time I see their body, I compare myself to them, even though they're not doing it on purpose. 
like just mute them or unfollow them for now. And you can come back to them when you're in a different place, if you want to, you know? So I just feel like that is such an important thing to keep in mind with all of this stuff. And just to your point, even being online, not everybody that says they're recovered is actually recovered. So it's always good to remember that even as you're looking at people, just like I always say, wellness accounts, fitness accounts, obviously influencer accounts, although they're not sharing about those things. So their business is their business with their relationship with food and all that stuff. But the people that you are seeing are often the people that are also struggling. I swear the amount of wellness, fitness influencers that I've worked with is crazy. So it's just, you have to keep those things in mind, especially with the wellness accounts. That's the hardest one because I literally see that you're spreading how to eat healthy and build this certain body, eat healthy in quotes. <laughs> and yeah, at the same time, you're actually struggling with an eating disorder. No, absolutely. Like that's so totally agree with that. And I believe that that's kind of why like the community can be a very interesting place because while it can really benefit some people, it might not be, you know, seeing other people's recoveries can be toxic. I know one thing I'm currently kind of going through a rebranding. I recently graduated from like all of my eating disorder services and, um, you know, like I'm not really, my doc has been in the making for last four or five months, but I'm not really considered like in recovery. I'm more concerned recovered now, I guess for, I don't really like to use labels, but, um, I don't really struggle with this stuff actively. And, um, but so I'm kind of going through a rebranding. I was Cami Recovers for a while on Instagram and now I'm Cami Recovered. And, um, but where I was going with this is that I know like it was really difficult for me to try to always find, like I wanted to share, hey, like I'm stressed out about this food and I ate it anyways. But even that, you know, somebody could see this and it might not be a fear food for them. And now they're thinking that it should be. So it was, you know, really difficult balance in deciding what's helpful for you and what's helpful for other people and how to, and really what I always just say is like, post what helps you, not your eating disorder and follow what helps you, not what helps your eating disorder. And I think that's a really, what it's difficult to do, a lot easier said than done, but, you know, easy rule to follow to, you know, help yourself and not your eating disorder. Totally. I feel like that's very, very good advice to take that and kind of run with it when you're looking at not only what, who you're following, but also podcasts and all the stuff. I would say one of the most important pieces of recovery is and something that holds people back the most is finding your identity outside of being the either recovering or the healthy friend, fit friend, this type of friend, whatever it is, like finding that identity outside of that. And so cultivating hobbies and things that you listen to or do, or that you like that don't have anything to do with those things. So it could even be, yeah, sometimes it's helpful to listen to a body image podcast and it's amazing and other times you should just listen to something totally different. That's just fun because that's what life can look like outside of, you know, when you're struggling. Like I don't really ever listen to any like body image podcasts and stuff. I do sometimes just because I think, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if this will help me in my work or, oh, I really like this person. But realistically, I listen to other things. Just like I don't always listen to business podcasts, even though I have a business, I just listen to whatever sounds good at the time, which I think we can get very obsessed with these topics when we're dealing with this stuff. I love that so much. One thing that my friends always kind of like tease me about or find funny (laughs) is that 
I don't listen to any like recovery or body image or health. I, and yet I have a podcast for recovery. (laughs) The only podcast I listen to is my own while I'm editing it. And even that I don't necessarily like, I would never just go like at the gym and listen to my own podcast or anything, including this category because or even how you had mentioned, like your life becomes, I feel like that's one of the beautiful things about recovery is your life becomes so much less of your identity as, you know, food goes into food's place. One thing is when I was really like going hardcore in recovery, my camera roll was just constantly like, wow, I can't believe I ate this. Take a picture mm-hmm. of it. And I noticed as I neared closer and closer to not really ever having these thoughts, I n- never really like take a picture of my food anymore unless I'm like oh I I feel like I should post this because it's going to help someone else I or I'm like oh this is really aesthetic or you know like how it was before I had an eating disorder and through that I cultivated I learned picked up you know I'm writing a novel that has nothing to do about recovery it's a fiction novel no one has an eating disorder in it and you know I, I wrote through my eating disorder but it was always about my eating disorder and just cultivating different hobbies and you know a personality and such outside of recovery or your eating disorder is such like a beautiful thing in recovery and I think it's just something that I really enjoyed that you talked about totally that's such a good example what you just said writing a novel or reading something or listening to something that's totally outside of the ed like arena yes that's I love that and kind of switching topics because I just had something on here that I was really interested because you've had such interesting responses and like insightful responses to all these is something that I haven't really talked about much on my podcast here but I've kind of been really researching and exploring is the body neutrality versus body positivity and I was wondering if you had thoughts on that if you had you know if you don't that's okay I know it's like kind of a newer thing that people are kind of debating but I do have thoughts on this and I've seen this in practice as well and dealt with this myself. And I feel very strongly that you can follow and adhere to whatever one feels good to you. First and foremost, if you are really excited about the idea of body positivity, go for it. I mean, great. As long as it's helping you to get somewhere in your body where you feel better, that's the main goal. But for most of the people that we've been talking about today that have had rocky relationships with their body image, I would say that neutrality is a much, much, much better goal than positivity around your body or even body love. I kind of see those things as interchangeable sometimes um, because it can be really hard to be positive about something, really anything in our life all the time. So I don't really know why we'd put that same pressure on body image and something we've already struggled with. I always say that really your whole goal when working on body image is to step up a ladder from going from hating your body to, you know, maybe just feeling like you're accepting of your body to being totally neutral. Some people interchange those, it's really whichever one you want to have first, whatever ones resonates with you to maybe feeling like you like your body. And some days you even love your body or you're positive about it. But I would say that's almost a sliding scale. I would hope that those, that first one, the body hate does not come up anymore. And we kind of remove that one from the scale. But I think really there's in reality going to be days where you hit on all different marks And the main goal that we have when trying to help someone with body image is not to get into this place where they're always positive, which I think is one of the main reasons why people are 
not criticizing the body positive movement, but just kind of seeing how, yeah, questioning it because it can feel like it puts a really unrelatable or unattainable, I mean, expectation on what body image should look like. So also it's kind of, it wasn't even a movement that was supposed to be taken over by all like a lot of the time, thin white, socially acceptable women. And it was really started by black women that were trying to develop more positivity about their body that wasn't as accepted. So it's kind of interesting because there's a whole nother segue to that of how I feel like a lot of the times we co-opt or like we not co-opt, we like take these movements over and we're like, oh, this doesn't fit quite right. And it's like, well, maybe it wasn't meant for you. (laughs) Maybe you should have gone for something a little different. (laughs) I love that so much because I always see there's so many body positivity influencers and most of the time it seems like they're thin white women. And I'm like, I always, something I think to myself is I was like, your people already viewed your body positively. Like just because you maybe didn't, society in general doesn't really have to shift much to view your body in a positive light. And another thing I really like, I always kind of tend recently anyways, more towards neutrality is other than I love how you said it's more like, it seems attainable. Like when you're really deep, seeming like you're going to love your body seems, it just doesn't seem realistic really. But I also love that one thing about the neutrality movement is that it doesn't necessarily think you know, it doesn't place any of like your worth, like, or I don't think the positivity movement does, but it's not, I feel like I don't want to necessarily love my body because I just want it to be, I just want it to be the vessel that carries my soul. I want to love who I am on the inside. And I want to love how I express myself through my clothing choices and my hair, but I don't want to necessarily wake up and be like, I have such an amazing body. Like, wow. You know, I just don't want that to be that's not necessarily has, I, maybe it used to be, but it's definitely for me not a goal anymore is to ever really love my body. I just want to accept it and I want to be happy. You know, I want to be, I just don't want to think much about how my body appears. You know, I want it to be healthy and I want my organs to all be going good. So in that case, you know, I do want to take care of it and such, but I don't want it to be its appearance to be something that I value very much, if that makes sense. It does in this field and especially with therapists, we always say that the role is not to get you to this place where you love your body or where you feel like your body image is a part of your worth. And you're even accepting of that. It's really to help you to disconnect your worth from your body image, because then your body can shift and change. And you're not feeling that wave so much because you're just not so attached to it, which is very, very important for the longevity of recovery because body image, I would say one of the biggest reasons that people fall backwards for sure, at least presenting on the outside. That's one of the reasons why. And I do think it comes down to being able to disconnect this. I always say, that recovery is like a triangle and you have food and exercise and body image and they're all connected in the beginning or like your eating disorder. And the role of recovery is to take each little circle in the triangle and start to slowly pull them apart until those lines aren't connecting anymore so that your exercise, your food and your body image are not 
relating to each other. So if one changes, the other one doesn't have to change. They just happen because you're able to tune into your body and actually feel what you need to do. Not because one of those other things has shifted. I love that so much. Like I've said to so many things, I have just found this extremely insightful. I know even for myself, like in this episode, particularly, I feel like I've learned so much about just how I want to see things and about how, you know, how I want to, you know, practice when I'm older as, you know, I want to follow a similar career path as you. So this has just been really interesting. And with that said, we are kind of reaching towards the end of the podcast. So I was wondering if I always give guests like an opportunity to say like anything you didn't get to say or anything you want to say or a takeaway. And that would kind of be now. Totally. It was so fun to get to chat. I always love having these conversations and I was so glad that it was helpful. I feel like my biggest thing that I always say and something that has been coming up a lot with my clients and on Instagram is just this idea of, you know, recovery is so worth it. And we hear about it in this sense of because you have food freedom or because of the fact that you don't have to move all the time or because you don't feel so connected to your body image. But something I've been talking about lately is that recovery isn't just worth it because of those things. And I think we know that we don't fully believe it kind of like what we were talking about earlier, but recovery is worth it because your life will never ever be fully filled with joy or happiness or experiences until your eating disorder or disordered eating is gone. And I just never really believed that. I always told myself, well, that couldn't be me. Or there's no way it's going to make that big of a difference. I need this in my life. So many people tell, we all tell ourselves that, right? But you just don't have any idea the opportunities that come to you in all areas of your life, the relationships that you can have, the experiences that can be built without that. And I think we miss a lot of the time that connection to our bigger why I talk about this in my group coaching programs and in my one-on-one of course, as well is connecting to the true reason you want to cover recover for yourself, not even just for other people. And that is what will propel you through the hard times because it starts to feel like a non-negotiable that you really want to have this life. Not that you just want to have food freedom. Honestly, food freedom is not that motivating all the time. It sounds great in theory, but you've lived without food freedom for so long. You're like, oh, I can do this. But to have the idea that your life will never be the same or that you may not, you know, ever be able to be a mother or to be a mother that won't pass this down, or you won't be able to have a relationship with someone that's really healthy or be able to travel. Like you thought any of those things, there's so many, that is really the loss of not ever taking those steps. And this is true for an eating disorder, but also true for even just disorder relationships with food or like being stuck in the dieting cycle. Any of those things relate to this exact situation. Totally agree with that. Like you really truly do gain your life back recovering from any of those things. And I think this entire episode would really just benefit anybody who has struggled, not even with an eating disorder, but as you said, disordered eating or dieting cycle or really any of those, you know, even just struggled with body image or anything like that, you know? And with that said, I just wanted to say, thank you guys so much. You should definitely check her out on Instagram. I believe it's Mallory J page, right? Yeah. Okay. And, um, she posts such amazing content and I would definitely recommend checking her out if you enjoyed this episode and thank you all for coming and I'll see you in the next episode.